Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Don't make believe on the beat, it's me and D. Welcome to the Full Press Fantasy Pod, part of Full Press Coverage. My name is Kyle Senner, and joining me is my co-host, Brad Harvin. How you doing, Brad? Hey, Kyle, I'm, I'm doing great, man. My, my head's spinning. It's, it's that time of year. Uh, drafts are, uh, you know, right around the corner. Uh, get, getting ready for them. Just so many mock drafts, just trying to figure out which way to go. So, I, I mean, I, I think this is the perfect episode for us to uh, dive into that. Yeah, we're going to call this episode uh, Draft Prep uh, 2022, I guess. Uh, but uh, yeah, so our guest for this episode is Sam Holt. Uh, a couple years in a row, we've had you kind of come mid-August now, right, at, at this uh, key fantasy football time. So thanks once again, Sam, for joining us. Absolutely. I love tuning with you guys and uh, always have a lot of fun recording. So let's get right into it. There's so much stuff right now that is hot in the news, but also people are just frothing at the mouth. Can't wait to get into their drafts. So this is the perfect time to get some prep on the board so people can get ready. It's funny because last year's episode, it was all about wide receiver trios because there was a ton of those where so many different teams had uh, like three or two or three receivers all in in really close ADP spots. And we did actually focus quite a bit on the Steelers last year. And not to say we're doing a wide receivers trio episode, but we are going to start talking about a a Steelers wide receiver. Brad, we we just can't stop talking about this guy. We we spoke about him last uh, episode with Eric Vanek, um, talked about the preseason and training camp hype. Um, Seems like everyone knows about it. So uh Brad, I know, I know you love the player, so I'll actually let you ask the question. Yeah, I mean, I, I do love the player. And uh, Sam, I mean, congratulations. I mean, it's, it's certainly somebody uh, that being in Jacksonville and being close to the uh, University of Georgia certainly had, uh, my, you know, my eye on him. We certainly could uh, use him in the uh, wide receiver room. And, of course, that's uh, George Pickens, who's, you know, really uh, making all the highlights, a lot of the, a lot of the talk around uh, uh, training camp and everything right now. So, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, you being a Steelers fan, you know, well, what, are, what are your thoughts and, uh, you know, and, and expectations, I guess, kind of, you know, kind of moving forward? Definitely. Well, I think for the most part, I'm really excited about the Steelers as a whole. We're all just starting to look and feel so much younger. No offense to Ben. He's a future Hall of Famer, first ballot Hall of Famer. And we appreciate everything that he's done. But I think that having the youth of, at quarterback is, you know, breathing some life into our locker room in many ways. And George Pickens is, you know, obviously a wonderful rookie talent. And when you've got all these young guys kind of in there, it gets really exciting to start to look at what the future is going to look like of the roster and to have someone like Pickens in there 
the way that the Steelers have historically kind of gone through their receiver trios, they very much graduate them through the process. So when you look at past receivers like Juju, their rookie season, they have big, big years um, that they just kind of go through this like freshman, sophomore, junior, senior kind of role. So I'm excited to see the way things stack up between not only Pickens, but Jay's Claypool, Deontay Johnson, and just to see the work between the three, because we've also seen three wide receivers equally have success over seasons with the Steelers, with their system. So I'm just excited for what that means for his rookie year. Obviously I'm going to hope for the over on everything. Um, but you know, it all comes down to who's going to be under center. And that's still a question mark, which kind of feels like it's more of a question mark than I thought it would be at this time of the season. Yeah, I can chime in on that real quick. So I was at the, uh, the Jaguar Steeler game this uh, past Saturday and just the way Pickett came in, I mean, the Steelers offense was doing nothing the first half. I mean, they, the Jaguars like held them like 12 total yards or something like that. Uh, you know, defense is flying all over the place. And then Pickett came in with, I don't know, a minute and some change and drove them right down the field, you know, scored the touchdown. They took the lead right before the half. I, I mean, it, it was a certainly eye-opening and a, certainly a glimpse at the future. And uh, I, I – I mean, I, I haven't really, uh, you know, had my finger on the pulse as far as, uh, you know, what's been going on at training camp. But definitely from what I saw, I witnessed, I mean, what, what he did what was – it was tremendous for a rookie. I mean, and the fact that it seemed like on that drive, nobody could cover Deontay Johnson. I mean, he, he was – he was well, really the whole first half, he was running wide open, which Trubisky didn't really have a lot of time. But, uh, but yeah, no, just really, uh, really impressed with uh, what I saw from Pickett and, I'm surprised Matt, I actually uh, am saying that, you know, based on, a, you know, some of me and Kyle's, uh, you know, previous discussions on, on the show, you know, we, we were not as high um, on him, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, what, what I saw the other night was uh, cer certainly noteworthy. Definitely. I think that also when, you know, we were talking about earlier this year, this, this uh, rookie quarterback class, what the expectations were much lower than years past. And I think that's also why he's still someone that, you know, it's probably going to continue to slide under the radar, even if he does get a start early, earlier than most of us are predicting. And I'm predicting still that Trubisky gets the starting job, but the latest that we see Pickett would maybe be, you know, week seven. I'm still thinking we're going to see him sooner than later, just because he looks fantastic. He looks much better than I think any of us really anticipated him looking at this time of the year. Obviously it's preseason. So some like to say, you know, take it with a grain of salt because you're seeing a lot of different defenses that aren't necessarily the same defense you see week one, because they're trying a lot of stuff out. However, I, what I love to see from him is just the confidence in the pocket. I mean, there was no stutter step. There was all kinds of, you know, immediate looks, immediate passes that were just very fluid. He looked really confident out there. And I think when you're dealing with a rookie quarterback, that's what we're looking for the most is we're, we don't want the deer in the headlights. We don't want the drops. We don't want the stutter steps. We want confidence in movement. And he felt really confident out there. So Brad, I guess we're, yeah, my initial statement of, okay, it seems like it's obviously Trubisky, I guess for week one, it, it's kind of all signs are pointing that they're still going to go with the veteran, but Sam, does it seem like it's just tied to how much Trubisky can win? Like you said, seven games. So if, if they're, you know, if he's five and two through seven weeks, they're probably going to keep sticking with him. Right. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I think it really just depends on how he's looking out there, how the defense was stacking up against him and just the errors, you know, as soon as stuff starts to go downhill, if it does, and if it's a tragic downhill slide, you know, Tomlin's going to end up with his, you know, over 500 winning season. He's going to do that no matter what. And I, he also is someone that is going to play the best man for the job. And if throughout the weeks, it's looking less and less like it's Trubisky, he's not going to be afraid to pivot. Um, but I also feel like he's not going to pull him unnecessarily. So let's say, you know, they're four and three. I don't think that he's losing the job right away. I think if it would have to be dire to make it happen. And obviously, hopefully that doesn't happen. But unless something crazy happens in the next game or in training camp or, you know, God forbid some sort of injury comes up, knock on everything, just, you know, because, you know, that bad juju can't have that in my Steelers life. Don't wish it out there. But should anything happen, then maybe Pickett gets to start sooner. But for me, knowing what expectations were of this rookie class, I am very pleasantly optimistic. I, I guess, yeah, back to that. The Steelers are week nine by, correct? Yeah, I think that's right. I do wonder, like, I wonder if how a lot of people have that earmarked where week 10 might be the logical time to get picket to give them that extra week. So you kind sure. of, if you're looking through eight weeks of the season, if they're, yeah, if they're four and four, you're probably right. They're probably not, you yeah, have anywhere close to 500. So it's, if it's like, is it three and five? Is that low enough? Or, you know, two and six, you're probably definitely thinking he's for sure getting the start there. So I wonder if three and five is that pivot point. Like, okay, if it's three and five, but Trubisky's look good and it's just the defense failing them. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, maybe you, know, you look beyond the wins and what's the quality of play. But if yeah. it's three and five and he's played poorly, then it then you think okay, maybe we can get some of those wins. Oh yeah, especially if thing if stats are up there, like interceptions are just you know a joke, very big egregious errors. I think that would maybe warrant pulling him from the starting job sooner. Um, but yeah, unless that happens, I think that it'll it'll still be him running the course for the season. Also, with a rookie quarterback, you I mean, for me, I don't want to throw him out there when he's not ready and he's not 100 percent because going up against the 100 percent healthy defenses in this league is so much different than college. There is a there's take no prisoners. I don't want to see Pickett get out, put out there and him just get pancaked and absolutely just, you know, it, it would it would break my heart. So we can't have that. I want to make sure that we do it the right way. And thankfully, we have, in my opinion, the best coach in the league and that, that you guys can take that as biased as you want. But I think Mike Tomlin is a genius and he will know exactly what to do and when to start him. I mean, I think he's undoubtedly a top five coach in the NFL. So that's uh, I know Bel- I guess Belichick would have to be probably number one almost by default. But yeah, I guess some of the especially some of the GM decisions recently, maybe not so uh, yeah. not so glamorous. So, not so I'll, much, I'll, give, I'll give you some I'll give, I'll give some credit. There, I'll, take, I'll take top five. I'll take top five. Tomlin, Harbaugh, McVeigh, Belichick, any of those four coaches I'd love to have on the Packers. All due respect to Matt LaFleur. So. <laughs> Uh, but I, I do have one more question about the Steelers. So the, sure. the changeover from Trubisky to Pickett, assuming it does happen, does that affect the outlook for the the receivers in terms of the pecking order? Like, do you think that there's a, a receiver that gets the, a benefit from having Trubisky, but then a, another, question. a different receiver gets a benefit from Pickett? Is there anything plain style wise that points to any of those other receivers that in any direction or, or, or am I digging for something that doesn't exist? I mean, I think it's going to be really tough to call now, you know, I think that, you know, Tomlin's always going to run and run plays, you know, best 
to his top of the rankings first. So Deontay's still going to be the first Fed receiver there. I don't think that's going to shift. I think maybe you could make the argument that Pickens gets a little bit more of the targets than Claypool simply based on maybe having more practice time with each other. Um, but I think with considering that Trubisky's new to the system, Pickett is new to the system, both of them are going to get equal practice time with all of the receivers. I don't think you could make that call right now. I haven't heard any, you know, uh, beat reports on uh, one receiver getting more lunches with one quarterback than another. So there's no little sneak peeks that I've noticed there. But if I hear anything, I'll make sure I tweet it out. Um, so for right now, I think, you know, it's definitely a wait and see just because they're both new to the system. If, you know, Trubisky had one extra year on picket, I would maybe make a different argument, but I think it's going to be a pretty even pecking order for now. And so looking at the way ADP is kind of shaping up, and I'm on fantasy football calculator right now, uh, looking at half point PPR ADP, they've got Deontay Johnson. This is single quarterback. Deontay Johnson at the end of the fourth round, 412. And then everyone else is 10th rounder later. Claypool at 1006, Pat Fryermuth at 1009, and George Pickens at 1209. So I guess the way that you know, we're as fantasy managers drafting, we're kind of saying, you know, Deontay clear one, and then either Claypool or Fryermuth is the two, and Pickens almost is the four right now. Again, you mentioned that without knowing what his upside is going to be, you know, tough to start him right away. So I guess, A Sam, do you think? all that ADP lines up. Is there anyone that stands out as being too high or too low at their respective ADPs? No, not necessarily. Um, I think it's interesting that Claypool and Firemuth are both so close in ADP right there, but I also get it. Uh, I think that both of them are amazing red zone targets and have historically been huge, you know, in the red zone. Um, I do love Firemuth this year. I think for the reason it's stacking up gives me more reason to you know, target Fryermuth there over Claypool, just because I could wait another two rounds and then get Pickens. And I think, you know, I do think that they're going to be pretty even in targets for the season overall, just feel like it's going to shake out that way. Um, plus I'd love rather get the upside of the rookie with maybe being, you know, hot later in the season or having those weeks where a bye week as a fill-in, he's a perfect flex for me. Um, so I think that would be the only takeaway for me is just based on how close Claypool and Firemuth are. If I'm waiting on tight end, I would grab Firemuth there. Um, of course, I'm not going to draft all of the Steelers that never happens, but I say this knowing that every draft that I go in and I say, okay, if they're there, I'm taking them. They're never there. They always get taken from me. So I also would not give the advice of drafting an entire offense to be on your squad because it's going to limit you over the week. But just to your point there on, on like how close they are in ADP three picks apart between Claypool and Firemuth, it almost comes down to roster construction in the 10th mm -hmm. round. If you've taken an early tight end, you're probably not taking a second shot at Firemuth in the 10th. So exactly. Yeah. Great points. Brad, anything about the, those uh, Steelers pass catching ADPs that you want to mention? Well, I mean, I, I guess real quick, cause uh, I mean, you saying that uh, uh, Johnson's at uh, the, the four twelve. I mean, that's, um, I mean, that certainly goes against what I, I think you and I both had in our tiers. We, we had him ranked a little higher than uh, I, I would say consensus. I, I think we're, we're a little more, uh, you know, definitely see him uh, producing a little bit more with, with the target share and, and, uh, you know, really being a, a not only just a safety bell, but, you know, just someone that uh, either, you know, Trubisky or, or Pickett can, can, uh, can trust. And I know we had the argument about, you know, with, with the deep ball, you know, with, with Johnson as well, you know, which quarterback would, would that favor? So 
Um, I'm not, um, you know, I, I feel good. I feel good with Johnson. Um, I mean, I think uh, earlier than the 412 would, 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 I, I would certainly go after him there. Well, and here's the thing with the fourth round. I'm looking, there are six wide receivers currently with uh, fourth round ADP in, again, half point PPR formats. And I'm struggling to find the name that I would rather draft ahead of Deontay. And they're all, again, earlier than I'm in the fourth, but it's still in the fourth. So I'll just run through those names quick. Sam, is there any of these six receivers that you would rather have than Deontay Johnson? So Mike Williams, Jalen Waddle, DK Metcalf, DJ Moore, and Michael Thomas. Yeah, no, um, I think I can confidently say I wouldn't want any of those receivers over Deontay, especially in the fourth round. I mean, you know, he's a number one receiver, so you know he, he has a fantastic floor for you there. There's some question marks with those other um, receivers that make me a little bit more nervous. You know, I'm, I love Jalen Waddle. He had an obviously an amazing season last year, but with the addition of Tyreek Hill and you know, just the way that Tua has been playing so far, I understand, you know, we haven't seen him completely 110% healthy. I get that, but I just wonder where the targets are supposed to go and where new targets are going to be gained um, between the two of them. So I feel like he's going to have his volume eaten into a bit. And so I'd rather not have that in a receiver when I'm taking in the fourth there. Um, similar with Mike Williams, uh, DK Metcalf obviously is a beast and you hate to, you hate to see it. You hate to say, you know, want no part of this offense, but I want no part of this Seahawks offense, just watching the preseason, you know, I have to take a Tums. It's just, you know, and I don't, I'm not even a fan of the Seahawks in general, but it still gives me anxiety for them. So for me, I don't want any part of it. I don't want to have to worry about that there. Um, and so you can't really argue with the floor you get for to have Johnson there in the fourth. I think it's too good to pass up. Absolutely. I would say the only name that did kind of stand to me at first was Mike Williams, but under the guys that you would rank Williams ahead of Keenan Allen, because I think I've got Keenan Allen ranked ahead of Johnson and then Williams third behind them. But if someone is thinking maybe Allen takes a step back and Williams truly emerges at the number one, I could kind of get that argument of why they would draft Williams ahead of Johnson simply for the better quarterback. I mean, there was questions about Tua, but, of that group outside of Herbert Tua seems like very clearly the second best quarterback. So it's not like Deontay should necessarily be too harshly punished to that group because of the quarterback play, because it's kind of questionable across the board. And I know we said this a few weeks ago, Brad, but Michael Thomas in the fourth, like that's, that's still pretty ridiculous. It is. It is. It is. I mean, uh, certainly name, like I said, I'm uh, keeping an eye on, but yeah, in the fourth, I I think that's a, that's definitely a reach. So any, uh, any Michael Thomas uh, love there, Sam, or, or you agree with us that the, he, he doesn't belong in the fourth round? I just don't think he belongs in the fourth round. Um, you know, the, the new injury concerns are, are a concern. Um, it has been so long since we've seen him on the field. Could we all be completely wrong in week one? He just has three touchdowns and 150 yards. Sure, we could all be wrong. But I think what we're doing at that point in the draft is making sure that the depth that we're building across all of our skill positions is that we have a healthy floor. With those early picks, I want a confident, healthy floor from my players. I like to take risks later in my draft. I don't really want to roll the dice in the fourth round. That's a, that's a good kind of philosophy because you're going to have to at some point floor and upside. You kind of need both to win in fantasy mm-hmm. and you attack it in different areas. And I tend to be like you, Sam, where I go for the, the safer bets early, invested in what's more known and then 
take the, the the upside shots late. Some people do draft opposite. Some people do go for the upside right away and they take they find their safe floor later in the draft. So it's all about personal philosophy at that point. And yeah, I guess if we're saying safe floor, Thomas, or that that's still probably that you know, I'm looking at some of the other like recovering players from injury. Chris Godwin at five oh eight, or um, like. Not you know Adam Thielen at six oh eight. Not that he like he. I think he's healthy right now. I don't think he's recovering from an injury, but maybe similar concerns to Thomas and just as much mm-hmm. upside. Like that seems more where his spot should be in the sixth round, but yeah. not not the end of the fourth. So, and I mean, I'd rather take a risk on Godwin than I would Michael Thomas, just because of you know the not just the inherent injury concerns, the newness of that, but you know we hear a lot of Godwin's looking really good for where he should be at and a full start for week one, whereas we see some setbacks right now for Michael Thomas. So you know there's pluses and minuses. We're we're really splitting hairs there, but I think that I would kind of rather have that upside of um, of Chris Godwin because I'm actually a bit low on Mike Evans this year simply because I feel like there's going to be a massive regression. I don't see Tom Brady going over 5,000 yards again this year. And I think that there's going to be, you know, um, I think there's me some other players that end up being big red zone targets there over the, over Evans. So I feel like he's going to have a touchdown regression as well. And, you know, if Brady has to do shorter, quicker passes, because it sounds like the offensive line is a bit beat up. I kind of like Godwin for that position slot receiver 10, you know, which is, I remember the first year in Tampa, I was all in on Godwin with Brady mm-hmm. coming there for that reason. But yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, think uh, Brad and of... I know we, Brad and I have definitely jumped into the Mike Evans and I've drafted him a few times already. So I'm definitely. willing to take the, the risk on Evans at his price, but uh, the, you know, if Godwin come back healthy, it also makes him a really great value in, in the fifth round. If, if we, yeah. knew, if we no oh, no ACL tear, he's going Ahead of Thomas, probably for sure, around earlier, maybe even two. Oh, 100 percent. I don't think that's a bad stack at receiver there to go fourth round Deontay Johnson, fifth round Chris Godwin. I think that's fantastic value in those two rounds. And then yeah, and you build your yeah, by that point you've built some running backs early on. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, yeah, the whole episode was meant to talk about draft prep. And we already kind of got into inherently just talking about like looking at Steelers ADP. We've already got to draw on some draft strategies from that. Look at us already on schedule. But I guess Sam, one of the things you wanted to bring to the episode for specifically preparing for your drafts is you know, the preseason hype. How do you navigate balancing preseason hype? And then I know the topic you see to also really be uh passionate about is you know week one how much impact do you put on week one again versus what we've seen in the preseason and what we've done up to this point so uh yeah just go ahead and give us your your thoughts about all all of that uh the preseason hype right now yeah for sure i mean i think what's you know what's great about preseason hype is that you know it gets us even more excited than we already were to get football back i think that i'm not alone in this in this group of three where i believe that football is an all-year-long sport even though people like to tell me otherwise no i'm excited every single month about football whether they're playing or not but this is the month where it's absolutely at its peak of it's about to be here let's just go it's the, you know the morning before getting to go to disneyland it's just an exciting time right now for everyone. And then we see all these players, see people going off, you know, more than we expected them to, um, you know, we, you watch that one, uh, Ravens receiver, um, is his first name Isaiah likely, uh, yeah, the, the rookie tight end, right? Yeah. Rookie tight end. Yeah. He's just looking fantastic. And so people are just like, Oh my gosh, he's like this deep sleeper for tight end. It's like, okay, but 
but Mark Andrews. So, you know, like th- it's exciting, but then how much are you really going to see him be a red zone target? Is he a best ball target? Maybe more than just regular redraft, maybe, but this is the time I think to also just add a bunch of names to your draft list. Just the guys that you don't want to forget about that you were excited about during the preseason. Because like I said earlier, I like to take um, shots at players later in drafts that I can see some high upside. So maybe he's someone I target later in the draft at a very deep league that I'm just like, you know what? Why not? I'm just going to make sure I don't have to find you on the waiver wire later. I'm going to stash this guy away, you know, just kind of squirrel away players. That's kind of what I use the preseason for is creating a list of players that are, you know, would be nice high upside guys that I got excited about watching in preseason more about being aware of players than it is about drastically changing or suddenly drafting players that you wouldn't have before. Yeah. Because the last thing you want to do is be the person in your league where someone comes up on the board and you don't know who they are. (laughs) You know, you don't want any surprises. You want to be the one that's taking someone and the person sitting next to you, you know, doing the look back and forth of, Oh my gosh, they know something. I don't know. You want to be the one that's making people feel that way and throwing people off their game in the middle of the draft. So now's the time to just make that fun list of players that you can use in those later rounds. And then when someone says, wait, what? And then you just spout out some random stat about the player, they can get jealous and you're in their head and it messes up their draft. Psychological warfare. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I remember that feeling. Many years ago when I uh, drafted Arian Foster, like super late in a, uh, in a keeper league. And I mean, I, I think it was first or second for like three years in a row, just because I, you know, was able to get him stash him. And I was like, I think I even had to write him in, you know, on the little, little, you know, sticker thing and put him up there. <laughs> I was just about to say the most intimidating move is grabbing the marker and writing oh, the name. It's I know oh, better yes. than the people who made these stickers because they didn't even oh. get him. And yeah, I mean, Aaron Foster, isn't he, doesn't he hold the record for most rushing yards from an undrafted free agent? I, I, I believe that. Yeah. Some, I, that would not surprise me at all. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he was a, he was, he was certainly something special there for, for many a year. It's funny as we're approaching you know, big milestone in the podcast. I think back the first yeah. fantasy draft I ever had was drafting Arian Foster in the there very first round. Yeah. So you got him, you got him before that hype to where he was the first overall pick in yeah. fantasy. So good, good job, yeah. Brad. Yeah. Uh, Lovely stash. And those are the fun memories we like about fantasy. I think is, you know, you know where you were when some of these players went off and where you got them and where you stole them from other people. Um, I know the year I won my big league. That's my very, you know, been 10 years we've been in this league and it's you know my ride or die league I remember you know the trade that I made to get uh, Aaron Jones that season and he's the one that went off in one of those last games I think he had three touchdowns in that game I just burst into tears because I won I was so excited Vikings, the only thing that 16. gets me yeah, <laughs> yes. I remember that on Monday night yeah. it was beautiful and it was just like I, I don't get emotional about literally anything else besides sports. So like I can be watching the saddest movie and it's just nothing happens dead inside, but you know, Aaron Jones runs for all these touchdowns and I'm just, you know, big mess of tears. Just I won. Finally. I think the timing, the timing's huge too. Cause it's, cause I remember that game uh, where he scored the a big rushing touchdown, like a 60 yarder, yep. like after oh, yeah. the two minute warning. So yep. you suddenly was... just, if you were down by 10 points and, yeah. and you had two minutes left and he makes that run, you, you won your league. Yeah. I think uh, I was up I was by like six when it happened. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think I was only up by like two points and he had Devonte Adams to go still. So I needed to get a buffer of points. Sure. Yeah. And it was that last play of all those yards and that touchdown that was just like salt in the wound for my opponent. It was just like, ugh, it was beautiful. If, if you know Sal Lito from the, the Scott Fishbowl Potathon, uh, we're in a reality sports online league together and back to the Steelers, Najee Harris getting that Monday night touchdown at the very end won me the league. Uh, yes. So yeah, heartbreaking so loss for Sal there. But I'm the victor. So yay, contract <laughs> leagues, which uh, I guess uh, that actually makes a nice transition to the next point to bring up, Sam, because you want to talk about a specific league uh, that you were doing. And it's, uh, I guess yeah. there's, you know, contracts are involved in that. So I know that always perks buyers every time. Yes, it is definitely the most complicated league I've ever been in. And I, I haven't heard of a league more complicated than this one, simply because we have so many keepers. We have a minimum, a maximum of 10 keepers plus three rookies that you can keep from the rookie draft. So we have that draft separate and then each player has a contract. So if you draft them as a rookie, they automatically have a three-year contract at their given price. So first round rookies are $5. Second round rookies are three. Third round rookies are a dollar. So those contracts over the course of those years, you know, weigh the value, definitely exciting, but also what makes this league super intimidating and always just makes you scratch your head at your keepers is it's a full IDP league. So we've got two linebackers, two defensive linemen and two DBs. And so this year I decided to make my defensive, um, keepers, the two rookies that I took and I took Aiden Hutchinson and I took sauce Gardner. So those are two IDP players that I'm just hoping for like big things just to come this season, just to see how they play out. Cause the way that IDP goes obviously is such a more volatile position with, um, injuries throughout the season. I feel like they go down and out so much more quickly that this is a league that I have to be looking at the waiver wires incessantly in order to rotate them out because they also come out with, um, defensive injuries on Fridays. Um, we added a waiver wire day on Saturdays only for defensive players. So you cannot pick an offensive position on those waiver days, but we gave that because sometimes the injury list comes out, um, a bit later for defensive players. So that's just, that's like a very long winded, but also short answer of everything in this league, but I have my draft coming up this Saturday. So I'm a bit excited about it. Well, I mean, you know, you can always draw immediate conclusions from like just league format. And I guess with the IDP players, knowing you're talking about how much of a rotation it is, it, you know, you can almost maybe expect the rookies to, to have to get in because of the nature of, of just needing to rotate uh, positions like, like Aiden Hutchinson as a, as a defensive uh, lineman, as, as seeming like a, you know, front seven player, potentially edge rusher, you mm-hmm. might not play 75% of the snaps, but look for almost at week one immediately joining that rotation. So Definitely. some rookies, you know, at offense positions, you have to wait and hold for a bit, but it seems like at least with the IDP rookies, if they're, you know, you took two players drafted in the top three of the NFL draft. So good enough to be taken that high, expect them to, to get into the rotation almost immediately, but certainly maybe the natural, the nature of, of IDP players of, you don't really know where those, that production is going to come from. So it very well could be the rookie that scores high immediately because just the way it lines up. Definitely. And, you know, because this is a salary, you know, this is an auction league. So the max salary we can take into a season. So after the draft, the max total we can have is $350. So every salary cap player kind of 
falls under tiers within that realm. Um, so a great example is like, I have Aaron Rodgers at $23, um, which, you know, for quarterbacks and it's now a two quarterback league, you can say that's really good value for that, um, player. I acquired him through a trade. So he's only got one more year. So I'm also looking at my team as, okay, I've got, you know, seven players that are on one year left contract and then the rest are on two to three year contracts. So I have to take that into account as I'm building my draft this year. Okay. Am I in a position where I can win now? Because I've only got this quarterback for one year and then I have to either extend his contract or depending on the contract structure, I automatically lose him. Cause if a player's already been extended before I can't extend them again you know, just lovely layers. Our rule book is insanely long. There's a rules meeting every year. It's fun. But those are the things that I think about. And I think in dynasty specifically, that's a question I think that people don't ask themselves enough. Am I in a position to win now? Or am I in a building position? And I'm just going to accept that and know that maybe, you know, not pull the trigger on certain trades or certain positions that I don't need to, because I'm allowing it to let it ride another year before I make another push. So I think that's something different to redraft that we also do is just, you have to look at your roster construction and think, can I realistically win now? And if I can, what are the moves I have to make and be willing to spend in the draft to make sure you're not missing out on the capital and you don't get, you know, gun shy. Yeah, for sure. Especially like, you know, with contracts, you, you go in on okay, guys that are one year. Okay. I'm going to just give them a one-year contract thinking I got their production this year. I, I'm yeah. all overspend on that. Or, okay, these are young assets. So I want to make sure I get them on a long-term contract, knowing that that's maybe they're going to be their more productive years too. So especially with a, you know, with contract and term lengths that always kind of enters into almost every player independently. Okay. This is the number of years that I ideally like to get this player at. Definitely. You know, whenever I go into contract leagues, that's what I do. They have got their auction value, but then next time I also got this is what their term and year should be. And that doesn't necessarily influence one or the other. If I think this mm-hmm. is a good player, I should spend up on them. And then what is the ideal term of, of year for them isn't necessarily dependent on their price either. Yeah. Plus um, what's interesting here is because we have different contract um, term lengths, you know, rookie versus uh, free agent contracts for agents are two years and rookies are three um, because we have this slight difference in contract years, you know, it makes the pool kind of, always up and down every year going to the draft on who's available. This happens to be a draft year where we've got a lot of talent in the draft, especially at running back, which we never have because people are always, you know, bogarting their running backs and not letting them fall back into the draft. But this is a year where we have Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott right at the top. So knowing that, okay, currently I have $110 on my total roster and I have to make sure that I don't go over so that I can fill up my roster. How much am I comfortable spending to try and grab Christian McCaffrey? Because in a vacuum of this draft, he's going to go much higher than any prediction that I'll find online for auction drafts. Well, it's funny because uh, um, I would encourage Sam as well as the listeners to, to go back a couple episodes ago to when I talked about my auction draft process, specifically how I create cheat sheets and, and values for that. So uh, if you want, Sam, you can you can definitely check that episode out and we, and you know hey, you can DM you me know and, I will. and we can talk for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely need it. But yeah, yeah, because I've uh, you know I've actually had a few people since that episode, other episodes I've done it come out to ask about you know how to make the the basis of a cheat sheet. So I've definitely cool. showed a few people, and I'm willing to not just for Sam, but any anyone who does want to reach out uh, about auction drafts, I'll I'll gladly help uh, create a cheat sheet. So and I'll give you the list of people in my league so you don't send it to them. <laughs> 
Perfect. Okay. Uh, yeah. In case they do listen to this episode. Great. Thanks for supporting everyone. <laughs> Brad, any, any thoughts about uh, anything about, you know, Sam and, and this upcoming draft and could do to prep? Um, no, I mean, uh, no, I mean, this is all really good. Uh, I, I, I'm certainly interested in, in the, uh, in the contract leagues, maybe next year I'll be able to get into it. I mean, it certainly sounds like a lot of fun and, and, and how you do it. I mean, I certainly uh, took your class a couple of weeks ago, Kyle, and uh, got the spreadsheet uh, ready to rock and roll. So uh, yeah, no, this, this has all been, uh, it's been great. So the next topic, uh, again, this is another thing that Sam brought up, uh, the idea of, of, you know, week one, how much are we weighing everything we've done up to this point and before week one of the NFL season. And so everything will continue to do. And then, week one happens, we finally get production and stats and how much are we weighing week one based off what we saw before that? And I think there's also maybe a bit of patience to be had right now with leaning back to the talk about camp hype, you know, talking, okay, you know, players that you're raising up and making sure that you're aware of them to be able to make waiver ads if, if you're not outright just adding them to the draft list. Uh, but maybe also be patient with players that there is some negative sting about like one player that I know I've got a, a couple of shares of just drafted is Albert Okwebunon and suddenly there's you know rumors he might not be the starting tight end but until we you know without the the true information of week one and you know is he going to get less targets than say the rookie tight end if we see that week one and then I'll use that information and maybe I'll make moves then but I'm not draw, dropping Okwebunon that the league's wife you know made that 10th round investment in him or contract leagues where I've, I've paid a bit of money above the minimum to get him I won't just drop him until we see the results of week one. So I think that's also goes into the camp hype uh, on the patient side more, but uh, Sam, anything about week one and, and the, you know, how do you balance the preseason expectations versus what happens once things change week one? Definitely. Well, I think when I'm looking at my roster, you know, after I've done the draft and all excited, finally come down from the hype, maybe gotten over the hangover from whatever draft I did. Um, you know, I'm looking at my roster and I'm going to start the best, avail- best, best floor for the, every position, you know, yes. Am I going to take a lot of dart throws on other players? Absolutely. But depending on the team I've drafted, I'm not necessarily going to be starting all of those dart throws. I'm going to be playing for the best floor for week one and understand that maybe, uh, someone I picked later is going to go off. You know, maybe I do draft George Pickens, but based on the roster that I built, I feel more comfortable with the other receivers that I'm starting just as a base floor. Let's say he goes off. I'm not going to kick myself for not having started him because I needed to see how it played out week one. That's, I think this tempering of expectations between weeks one and two, even three, where I say, you know, there's a certain um, period where I don't panic on my roster. This is where we're making adjustments. This is where we're getting the data on the players we haven't seen play in the NFL yet, along with, you know, players that are on new teams that we haven't seen them play with yet. Obviously, you know, we're excited about the possible volume that Matt Ryan's going to be giving a player uh, like Michael Pittman. So this is something that, you know, maybe the first week, it's a tough week, tough sledding. Michael Pittman doesn't have an over 20 point game. He has something average between like 13 to 15 points. Am I going to hit the panic button on Michael Pittman? No, I'm going to allow it to ride. Look at the schedule, see how things shape up, maybe make a pivot by week four. If he's just absolutely tanking, um, move him to the flex, see what else is out there, but I'm not going to necessarily panic in those first couple weeks when teams are just getting their feet under them because yes, they did have preseason games to get those reps, 
but it's so much different to week one, week two, you're in the thick of it. This is everyone giving it everything. And so I'm going to make sure that I temper those expectations for myself. So I think that when people are new to fantasy, or even if you've been playing fantasy for a long time, there's this, you know, first couple of weeks panic that everyone gets. And I'm always like, guys, there's no point in panicking right now. Literally we have so many more games. We have a longer season than we've ever had. You just got to buckle up because, and keep your eye on the waiver wire, take players wherever you can, even to defensively take them from other rosters. So other players won't get them. That's the time to really be in the trenches on your roster and make moves in those ways. So that way, even if maybe you're letting it ride on a, on your players starting, make some waiver moves. So you've got some other things happening and you can feel like, you know, you're still getting your homework done. Well, just to that, like, you know, being aggressive early in the waiver wire too, when, when those players start to emerge, that's when you get some guys that, you know, maybe not everyone pans out for the entire season, but some players that did emerge. And again, Brad, I think one of the things we talked about with, with tight ends is that's especially one thing. And, and so like those leagues where I have Okwebun on, if I see that there's tight ends available on the waiver wires that are getting more targets than him, even after week one, I might already bail ship on, on a guy that was a 10th round pick. But sure. if, if, you, if, if those markings are there immediately, if a tight end is seeing a bunch of targets, even if it's just for one week, there's probably a reason for that. So, you know, take the risk. And, you know, I, I noticed last year, Dalton Schultz was right from week one. I think he got seven, eight targets, right. That very mm-hmm. first week. And I know I remember I, a couple of leagues where I have him is because I picked him up right from week one. And, yep. and was able to ride him out to a tight end three finish right from the get-go. So especially a tight end position, that's one, but you can see that for other positions as well. Elijah Mitchell would have been the prime running back example last year. Brad, you know, very well, as much as anyone else, James Robinson the year before. So yep. these guys emerge kind of right away. So it's, I think it's also, you know, we're saying be patient up to week one, but as soon as week one happens, there's going to be a lot happening quickly. So be willing to be aggressive with those waiver bids in your week one, I think is something I'm going to, do as well myself and be more aggressive in those first few weeks. Definitely. Cause I mean, something that I've learned, you know, over the years with my free agency budget, um, you know, I never want to have a season where I finished it and I have, you know, a plethora of cash left over. Cause I don't get to take that with me anywhere in any sense. It doesn't roll into the next season. You might as well be the one that is, you know, rolling the dice, risking, making the moves sure. because at the end of the day, you don't want to sit back and then think, you know, Oh, like I should have bid on them. I should have done that. Okay. No, you spent all your money in the first, like, you know, I, I like to have some saved up for playoffs time, but you know, you spend what you need to spend in those first eight weeks, just so you've got the depth of players that you want and you feel comfortable with but you don't want to sit back by, you know, week 10 and you've got all this free agency cash and the well is dry. That's the last thing you want. Um, But also understanding, you know, your roster construction compared to other leagues. So let's say you have a very shallow bench and you can't afford to keep all those players. What's great about those leagues is that the waiver wire is always going to be churning with talent. So don't look and worry about offloading a player just because someone went off one week. Um, you know, hold on to the guys that you think are going to be the best season long talent, as opposed to the guy that happened to have a big game in week four. Yeah. Maybe in shallower leagues, you're going to be less aggressive with that, yeah. that fab budget, sure. deeper leagues where you're more aggressive because there's already less players. So that, that's also a really good point, Sam. Yeah. Uh, Brad, uh, anything to add? I was just going to say, I think it's great that you had, I mean, as when it comes to, you know, evaluation, I mean, you know, it's that it's week one, it's week two of, you know, really trying to kind of see what, what's going to, going to be happening. I mean, 
just in Jacksonville alone, I know there's 31 other, 31 other teams, but you know, where is Christian Kirk actually going to be the number one is Evan, is Evan Ingram going to be able to catch the ball this year? Uh, what about Travis Etienne? I mean, there's all this hype about him, but you know, if J Rob comes back, are they really going to be splitting, splitting, you know, carries? I mean, you're going to find out a lot. And I mean, I, I've, I've definitely taken some, uh, some texts and, and questions, you know, people who've already had, uh, had their drafts and they're already trying to jockey for, for this guy or that guy, like, like Mike Davis, I guess is, uh, you know, somewhat uh, popular right now because of uh, everything going on with Dobbins. And I mean, I'm like, you know, settle down. You know, it, he, he, you know, the guy's upset that he didn't get Mike Davis. I'm like, settle down. You know, it's Mike Davis, calm, you know, calm down. I mean, he, he was willing to, I think drop uh Darrell or Daryl Henderson or something. Oh, no, no, no. Like you gotta you gotta slow down. Pump the brakes. Pump, pump yeah. The brakes. yeah, exactly. No, no one should ever be this emotional about missing out on Mike Davis. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, no. He's got great thighs, but come on, that can only take you so far. And I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's he's constantly, you know, texting me all day, should I get this guy? I'm like, you just hold on, just you know, just wait, calm down. I mean, I mean. It certainly says for something to try and get in front of something, you know, whether it's the uh, Ronald Jones situation in Kansas city or something like that. I mean, and there, there's, you know, there's other things around the league, but I mean, I'm like, you, you know, you put all this effort into your draft, you, you, you know, you, you, you had your tears done, you know, just kind of, kind of just chill for a second or, you know, let the cuts happen, all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, but, but no, I, I think that week one, the first two are, are certainly a evaluation week. So, how you're going to play out the rest of the season, but also to the, sorry, Sam. Oh no, sorry. I was just going to say, and for your friend too. I mean, the the Ravens team is a really interesting one to look at, especially in like a vacuum right, right now, um, just because they are a run first offense. They are run heavy. I'm someone that literally drafted every single running back as they were coming off the cart last season. So I'm someone that had Dobbins. I had Edwards. I had everyone until I was like, you know, I just drafted three and I'm done. I can't do it. They keep getting hurt. I'm not doing it. And then it was all just, you know, best man up last year. And then whoever ended up finishing with the most rush, it was just someone, no one thought that it would go off. So for your friend, I would also say like, okay, don't feel like you're missing out on Mike Davis because they use the running backs the way that they do he would probably be someone that's okay for a couple of weeks. And then it's going to be somebody else the rest of the season. Anyways, if Dobbins comes back healthy, it's hundred percent his job. Like, you know, don't beat yourself up on these offenses where it can be this turnover at the position similar in San Francisco. Like there's going to be some guy we've never heard of that has four touchdowns in a game in San Francisco. We sure. know that's going to happen. Like it just without fail. So those aren't teams that I beat myself up on players that I miss out on just because it's going to be a churn and it's just going to, I'm going to be beating myself up for no reason. No one needs that stress. Exactly. <laughs> but, and I, and you know, Brad, you went back to what Sam was saying about week one, week two, and I actually want to go back to that as well. And, and it's funny, yeah. Sam, you mentioned week one, really high floor and you're chasing that high floor early, actually funny, kind of like you do in drafts, right? The, the first few rounds you're going for high floor. And then as it gets later, you know, and go for the risk your high upside player. So maybe the, it's funny how the season also plays out like that. You want to save your floor performances and then, as you certainly as you get to the fantasy playoffs, that's maybe where you chase upside. And I think mm -hmm. the theory behind that would be, you know, especially week one, you have no idea who the good and bad teams are. So if you could just strive to be close to the average, yeah. probably a 50 50 shot at beating your opponent. Whereas later in the season, especially in the playoffs, the worst teams are eliminated. You're, you're going against the best of the best teams. So suddenly, league average probably doesn't win you fantasy playoff matchups. So that's when you really chase the upside. 
Yeah. That's when you're chasing, you know, these big plays, these players that, you know, you get into the weeds and you see the, the cornerback wide receiver matchups. And that's when you really start to be picky about who you're flexing across the board. Um, Cause you're chasing those touchdowns and you're chasing the upside. You're looking at the weather more than you normally would for a particular matchup, just because you're really starting to okay. get into, get in the weeds. <laughs> um, you don't want to be starting a receiver in a snowstorm like a lot of us did last year we all know that game with new england it was just oh that was horrible but um you know those are the things that really kind of set make separation for later in the season as well but that's not something i'm going to be really worried about week one week two it's you know it's still august the weather's still pretty good everywhere it should be fine well it's funny because this, this episode is supposed to be about draft prep we have got a little bit ahead of ourselves talking about the season but it is you know we're always thinking ahead we're always thinking yeah. but let it let let us let's let us get back to you know a speaking properly but then b uh draft prep and brad uh you mentioned you, you've kind of caught a, a draft coming up and, and you're interested uh you, you know your draft spot and you're kind of thinking how you're going to approach not just your first pick but maybe your first two three picks yeah um yeah i got a so 14 team uh one quarterback half point pbr nothing nothing special with tight ends or anything like that and uh yeah i'm sitting sitting at the four spot and I mean, I'm, you know, staring uh, Justin Jefferson right, right in the face, uh, feeling good about that. Um, I, I know, but I, I know my, my, my guy, Derek Henry's there. So I'm just like, eh, you know, because it's so the, the first, the first round, I'm not too concerned about it. It's that second and third round. Well, what am I, what, when it comes back to me, I mean, I, I have, you know, my handful of players that I'm, that I'm interested in, whether it's, uh, I, I don't know if Saquon can make it back to me. He's made it back a few times in, in some mocks. Um, uh, Kelsey uh, obviously is uh, very tempting, but he's most likely going to be gone before he gets back to me. Uh, so just, I'm trying to really just kind of lay out, you know, I guess really those first three picks and, and, and what order I want to go to. So it's, it's a, uh, you know, start two running backs, two, two receivers, one flex, um, one tight end. So, yeah, I'm just kind of trying to trying to go through there, and I'm I just feel like there's so many options. I mean, e- even with the third pick, you know, if, what if Josh Allen's there? I've never gone quarterback that early, that, yeah. never. I've never, and that would be completely off script for me. But man, that's tempting, you know. Uh, I mean, just I mean, it'd be a little bit of a reach in the third round, uh, but you know, you lock, obviously lock that uh, position up, and you know, just kind of kind of weigh weigh the options with uh with what's around there and i mean it it's a lot of uh you know receivers that are you know kind you know kind of the same you know like like you mentioned the the high floor uh you know type receivers but yeah so it's yeah i mean it's that time like i said my head's spinning man uh uh i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna keep doing it again tomorrow and i'll probably uh uh, not pay attention to the phone calls at work but that's okay (laughs) Hey, you know, sometimes we got to, you know, personal something came up, you know, Absolutely. something, something came up and, you know, it, it, these things happen. I'm sure work will understand, you know, personal life. It's a, it was a person. I needed a personal minute, you know, in an hour, um, two hours. Okay. If you make it a day, that might be something where you got to put in for PTO, but I don't know how your work structure is. Yeah, um, I, I feel like I love picking from the third, fourth spot myself as well. And I run into that a lot. 
I find the teams that I'm happiest with are when I go running back early in those scenarios. I feel like if I'm anywhere between five to nine, I'm happiest when I'm taking a receiver in that section, just because of that weird drop off. Cause you're near a turn. So those are the things that to me, like when I'm looking at guys in those areas, you know, if I have to, if I took someone like Derrick Henry in the first, and then I took someone like Tyree kill in the second, and then I went and I was like, you know what, I want to make sure that I've got, you know, another good floor, um, running back someone in that position just to shore up in case of the injury issue. Maybe I go with James Connor there. Maybe I go with a cam acres, um, just to make sure that I've got another running back one for their offense. And I can feel good about that floor. David Montgomery is good at that floor as well for that reason. Um, those are kind of ways that I like to shape up. Cause obviously we don't know how deep the receiver position is, um, is getting someone like Justin Jefferson, like amazing. Yes. I would love to have them too. I've just personally found that when I'm sitting in that spot, I ended up with the team that I feel the most confident about. Um, if I go running back early. But again, I mean, you know, keep mock drafting because, you know, you could end up with, you know, two receivers early and then you wait on running back. You get David Montgomery in the third and then maybe you go and grab AJ Dillon later. Like, I love that stack right there. I think you've got a lot of upside, um, especially given, you know, the difficulty Packers have had with knowing who's going to be the best wide receiver there. I think that both running backs at their ADPs are amazing stashes and drafts because they're going to get a lot of carries and a lot of touches. Yeah. I think if you could, you guys made some good names. Like I think Brad, if you could guarantee we're going to get James Connor, David Montgomery, you mentioned even Zeke Elliott, I'll even throw Leonard Fournette. If you could guarantee you got one of them in the third and we're able to hit running back, running back two, three, that would give you probably a lot of confidence going with Justin Jefferson or, or Cooper cup or whatever wide receiver you think is the best that falls. But yeah, it's tough to know until it happens. Right. So when, when you're sitting at 104, you're never going to know what, what's going to necessarily be there in the third. So I definitely get your temptation to go with your guy, Derek Henry. Yeah. Um, it's hard to let him go when they're your guy. I get it. It, it is. It is. And, it, and I hate to, I hate to be like this because it sounds very cocky, but I, I look at his uh, schedule for the playoffs and it's, it's just so tempting. I mean, he's, I think he's got the Jaguars, uh, the Jets maybe and, and like another another team and and the Cowboys and like two of the games are in Nashville I'm like I'm like man you Come know you stay healthy and you ride him through the through the playoffs and and uh I mean a lot of times when when I'm coming down to a couple players I mean that I'll look at that playoff schedule um and like I said I, I'm not trying to sound you know cocky or anything but 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 I, I'm, I'm 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 you know I I am the prize I, I mean this is I mean I know you got to get there but you know, I, I think these horses could, could get me there. And, and, it's, and, you know, that three-week stretch at the end of the season, I mean, I, I, I do kind of weigh uh, the, the schedule a little bit, even that far in advance or far in advance. So uh, I, I guess since we're on that pick, that, that 104, if, if Eckler's there, uh, you know, would you – Is it half point or full point? It, it's half. It's half. And I, I, know, I know I've like mentioned my feelings on Eckler. I mean, I, I've definitely shoo shooed him for many years, and then kind of, kind of, kind of took a one eighty last year. 
uh, as far as uh, my feelings. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, so, I mean, there, there's a possibility that Eckler and, and Henry could be there. So you guys are, are you're definitely talking me out of the Justin Jefferson thing. So I don't want to uh, talk I, you out I, of it. <laughs> I think it's a great pick too, especially, I mean, you said half point PPR and, you know, if you're looking at some of these other running backs and they have really good, um, you know, schedules towards the end of the season, the other thing about with those seasons I and mean, when you look about it that way i'm prepping for the playoffs okay you can make the argument okay yeah i'm being cocky thinking i'm going to be playing for the playoffs i also like to think of it at least in my league i don't know how everyone else's league is for you know the loser of the league what happens to you but there tends to be a lot of punishments out there so if i can feel good about a good schedule for a player later and be like all right at least i know i'm gonna have points that week no matter if i'm going for the ship or i'm just just making sure i don't end up in the toilet bowl you know like I, those are things that I feel really good about. I don't want to talk you out of Justin Jefferson too, because I do think that there's ways that the draft can fall and you can be really happy with those later running backs that you get. Plus you've got an elite talent that you know is going to finish within the top five at his position. Half point PPR again, like you're going to have amazing volume. You're going to have a great floor with him. It's one position you don't have to worry about. You know, there's definitely pluses and minuses on both. Um, you know, I would just say, keep mock drafting and seeing which players are going to fall to which that you feel the best about. It's that second round running back, not, not, not not knowing uh, who that's going to be. So. So yeah, sounds like difficult decisions. And I did want to talk about one draft I did where I did have a really difficult decision and how it kind of compounded the rest. So real quick, it's a super flex league uh, and running backs get an extra half point per reception as do tight ends. So not just a tight end premium league, but running backs also get that weight extra reception. So I started my draft, Joe Burrow, Tom Brady, Saquon Barkley, Leonard Fournette. And yeah, maybe a bit of a stack there, Brady Fournette with the extra running back receptions. And then I, I wanted to keep going at running back. So my next decision in the fifth round was Ezekiel Elliott, someone who's got pretty solid volume, or the rookie Brees Hall, who I think we may expect to get a pass catching role, but also Michael Carter's still there. Uh, I ultimately went with Zeke, knowing it's a redraft league. Maybe, again, thinking Sam's theory of safety, what, what we know. Brees Hall's a great upside pick, but at this point, talk about a fle- uh, you know player being the flex, theoretically in the lineup every week, I wanted safety. But... Because I went Zeke, the next pick, it was, I was basically decided between David Montgomery, who, who fell there, and Dalton Schultz, and not wanting to double up on the Cowboys offense, but also wanting the tight end. I made a, That was a really difficult decision to stick with Montgomery, give myself four running backs, and yeah, I'm going to have to make difficult decisions in season on who, who of those four to bench, but maybe you know play the matchups there, look at the goal line guide, which I'll again do this season, uh, trying to find where those touchdowns will be. So uh Anyway, I didn't go with the Schultz and he did go a couple picks later, but TJ Hawkinson fell to the next round. So anyway, so the, the five, six, seven picks ended up being Ezekiel Elliott, David Montgomery, TJ Hawkinson. Now the alternative would have probably been Brees Hall, Dalton Schultz, and probably Rashad Bateman, Bateman or Elijah Moore, right? Brad, that debate again, uh, would have gone with either one, probably Bateman, just knowing me, if it was Brad, it would have been Elijah Moore. We, we've, we've had a debate before in the pod. So again, so one combination ends up being Elliot Montgomery Hawkinson, which is the team I have, or the other uh, version of it would have been Brees Hall, Dalton Schultz, Rashad Bateman. So I don't know what either of you two think about those. Um, I mean, I think that's a really interesting draft pull that you got what i love about loading up at running backs like that too some people would be like well you're missing out on receiver 
capital, blah, blah, blah. You could make that argument. But what I love about that stack is, you know, if you are having the difficulty of who to start and, you know, everyone's staying healthy and everyone's looking good, you've got amazing trade value right there that you can totally capitalize on someone else in order to get more depth later at other positions. So I think that there's a big upside in doing that. Um, you know, you can make the argument, oh, you can't start all of them at once. Okay. Yeah, I can't, but someone else is going to want to. And it's going to be a really good trade value later. And I think that's something that can't go amiss. So I think that's really fantastic with the way that you pulled them to me. I think that, um, you know, I would love to be higher on Bateman, but I just don't see the target volume there with the run first offense that the Ravens have to make me that much more excited. So I would maybe go with Elijah more just to like, just for slightly more volume. I'm just hoping for that little bit of an edge. Um, but you know, that is a tough call between the two. I can understand going back and forth, but, um, and Bateman's, you know, he's looked good. And I think that there could be more there, but it's just, where are the targets coming from? We know how many a year, that Lamar gives us, there's a pretty solid floor and there's not really, you know, some sort of outlier that's making me think that possibly you can have over a thousand yards. I really don't see it. Um, and that's not just me being a Steelers fan. I'm just saying like, it's a run first offense. How can I guarantee I'm going to get, you know, a 1100 yard season from Bateman when I haven't necessarily seen that in the past. And, you know, I'm pretty sure the last two years, Mark Andrews has been, you know, nearly their number one receiver or has been. So it's like, you know, you're splitting hairs, but I understand why you were making that argument. I don't think that, um, there was definitely a one way or the other, you know, both equal to me pretty close to, in terms of who I would have taken myself, but I think that's a really solid kind of jealous of that running back stack those four are very stout i love that for you yeah and i i think you answered it uh when you described the settings in the league personally when you talked about the extra extra uh you know half point for for a receiver and tight end because i i think uh zeke's gonna get his passes uh i think zeke is uh consistent but i mean hawkinson's uh you know he's gonna certainly have his target share there i I think he's gonna be comparable, if not maybe slightly more than what, what Schultz is getting. So, I mean, I think if you, uh, you know, compare those two, I think, I think Schultz will get the touchdowns, um, you know, more than Hawkinson. We've certainly uh, talked about that, but I don't think that, you know, you know, getting the Hawkinson, you know, uh, later and then having a, so it was Zeke Montgomery. Yeah, exactly. Hawkinson. Hawkinson. Yeah. yeah I, I, I like that. Especially, especially with with these settings, I, even in uh, even if you didn't even have that extra half point, I I, I like that uh, I like that stack uh, better than the other one. And I also think that back to the draft prep of okay, if you're going to roster construct, especially mm-hmm. heavy on running backs, then I only took one running back the rest of the draft, Michael Carter in the thirteenth round, almost to make up for the Brees Hall. Like that's almost my way of hedging against that Brees Hall pick of okay, if he yeah. doesn't do well, then. And it, it justifies me not taking him there and I get his backup, which maybe does better. So that could maybe double screw me if Reese Hall is amazing. But uh, I th- the point was though, from after that Hawkinson pick, there was, it's a 15 rounder. So there were eight more picks. Six of those eight picks were wide receiver. So knowing that I, I ignored wide receiver up until the eighth round, I uh, ended up with Adam Thielen, Traylon Burks, Chase Claypool, Tyler Boyd, Devontae Parker, and Jarvis Landry. So no, not, no real sexy names, but I think especially like I, I have, I've done what I think I've done four, I've done five redraft drafts so far and I've got Boyd in four of the five. So I, I clearly have something for Tyler Boyd in this 10, 11, 12 rounds. 
taking him wherever I can, apparently. Uh, so I think he'll produce well in that offense. And we already talked about the Steelers. You know, we, we think Pickens has a chance to be the number two. It may be Fryermuth, but I, I think right now, the way it stands, like, you know, based on last year's numbers, targets would maybe go more towards Claypool, more touchdowns. We'll see if, if I'm right about that or not. And uh, kind of liking Parker as the number one receiver with the Patriots. I actually thought I kind of got him a, a bit of a value there. In hindsight, I didn't take Sammy Watkins. Should have maybe taken Watkins over Landry, but I'm, maybe this is also me buying Landry with the, the Michael Thomas questions too. So right. I don't know if you necessarily love that wide receiver room, but I think the idea, you know, if you, if as the listener, you don't like the receiver room and certain maybe better names, their draft better than I did in terms of the specific players, but the, the type of build called for this lead to kind of fade receiver, but, it, but fading receiver doesn't mean ignore the position either. And, and gotcha. you know, filled it at the back half of the draft, certainly. Right. Very good. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I got to be honest, I, you have uh, the last couple of weeks, you've certainly uh, opened my eyes a little bit to uh, Devontae Parker as a uh, as a, uh, you know, late round little uh, little gem. So I, I keep keeping my eye on him. I mean, um, yeah, he, he could uh, certainly lead, lead that room up in up in New England. So wouldn't be too hard to do, I guess. I guess, I guess, Sam, what do you think of, of the Patriots? Like, do you have a, maybe you can even include maybe the tight end Hunter Henry. Like, do you have a favorite to emerge from that pass catching group uh, in terms of who they have at receiver and tight end? You know, when I look at, when I look at the room, the way it is, I think that there's a lot of opportunity here. So um, currently, you know, Devontae Parker could be the number one, could be Jacoby Myers. Um, you know, you never know who's going to kind of be the guy and I think with Bill Belichick being the way that he is and the way that he constructs his roster week in and week out it's always kind of a shift so it's not a bad thing to have someone who could potentially be the number one guy in the offense um I, I don't think it's bad to get someone that could be a potential number one so late in a draft I think that is a great value um and that's kind of what you're looking for at the, that part of the draft too is who has the most potential to give me the best floor best floor out the gate, but also has an upside that we really don't know what it could be. It the sky's the limit. So I think that that's a really great pick. Um, I, I like a lot of the, the value late that you got on your receivers. Um, there's a lot of upside. And like you said, the way that the roster is constructed in that league in particular to give just a little bit more points to the running backs and the tight ends. I think it's a smart move to fade those positions. And like I said before, you've got huge depth at the running back position that if you really wanted to, and someone else was absolutely struggling at the running back position, you can hold a King's ransom to take their, one of their best or top receivers. And then you'll be fine for the rest of the year. Or let's say Hawkinson doesn't pan out like we think he does. I expect him to get a lot of receptions. If that's not the case, maybe I want to upgrade a tight end and I've got kind of the ammunition to do that as well. Definitely. And I I think to something you said earlier, Sam, about maybe not this, like you use George Pickens as the example of may not play him week one. Like Traylon Burks is my ninth round pick and you start nine players in this league. So in theory, he should be drafted as a starter, quote unquote, but I may not necessarily start him week one. You know, maybe probably more comfortable going with Tyler Boyd right off the bat, or maybe yeah. even taking the shot on Devonte Parker that he's the number one guy and it'll show right away. So, but then even with Traylon Burks, okay, yeah, I mean, again, another run heavy team, um, so not necessarily the highest on their receivers. Um, however, what I think is, you know, kind of in your favor. Yes, Robert Woods is coming off of an injury as well, but Traylon Burks, as soon as they drafted him, his immediate comp was AJ Brown. So his 
skill set already fits in what they've been running. So it's not like he's necessarily having to work his way into their system. They already know how he plays and he fits into the system with what's already been running. So it's not necessarily going to be a huge adjustment for him necessarily. So that's why I think that he's also goes higher in terms of, you know, an immediate rookie that's getting the start on your roster, depending on how deep the league is. I can see the arguments for why you'd start him week one, um, just based on where you took him. I think that you know, it's not crazy to me then to start him because he fits so immediately in the scheme. And maybe like, so maybe there's actually more questions with Claypool, for instance, with, with yeah, how he'll fit in with Trubisky as opposed to, and we think we know how he'll fit with Burks will fit in with Tannehill and like mm-hmm. having that same quarterback on that team, even if it's not the same quarterback for Burks might actually be more certainty. Yeah. And you know, funny enough, that league that I was mentioning earlier, I actually have both Chase Claypool and George Pickens because, you know, I wanted to shoot myself in the foot. No, I, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to see which one, you know, where, where it rises and be excited for either one, but also know that I have the potential to trade one of them if I wanted to. Um, and that's, you know, fantastic draft value. Although it would be really hard to trade away a stealer. Like I've never done that before. That just feels weird. Like, oh my well, God. Well, yeah, it basically sounds like you rarely get to roster them on your team. So of course you take two shots. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I know because I got Pickens in the rookie draft and um, I had drafted Claypool back when he was a rookie too. So he's about to end his rookie contract on my team and I just got another new rookie contract. So, you know, it's just, I'm going through the cycle the same way the Steelers are going through. So we'll see who rises and then who ends up falling off my team. But Are you going to trade for Mitch Trubisky too, like the Steelers? (laughs) Or they signed him, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I think that, you know, based on it being a dynasty league too, if I were to say like, in that league in particular, is there another quarterback I'd be targeting on the Steelers? I would be targeting Pickett just for the longevity at the position, um, you know, but that would be an interesting stack to see work out later if I ended up with uh, with Pickett and Pickens, you know, this time. Both on rookie year. contracts, kind Both of on rookie going contracts. together, yeah. That just, just makes you salivate thinking the possibility. <laughs> and well, and the, you know, you might have good buy windows on Pickett if he doesn't start. Okay, Trubisky's mm-hmm. getting the start in games. That's when the the you know the Pickett manager might be willing to to go with you know sell them a little lower than they would have at other yeah, times. So exactly. Um, and then you know, uh, there's also the conversation too of other other rookie quarterbacks that people have been drafting and stashing, but you know, in dynasty in particular, this next coming rookie class is supposed to be, you know, miles above what this one was coming in. So I'm also looking at my roster construction thinking, okay, am I going to be making some moves this year where I decide, okay, I'm at, you know, week eight and it's looking like things are not looking up. What moves am I going to make to grab some additional first round picks for next season so that I continue to grow this league and to make that prep later? So these, these are things I'm always keeping in the back of my mind at this time of year, just being ready to understand what makes sense to pivot in like a logical sense versus a panic pivot. I don't want to ever make that move in Dynasty. This is a, such a long-term game. Again, I've had this team for so many years, you know, I try to not make any panic moves, which is just, we let it wait and see, but we have our plans of action depending on how things fall. And you know, preparation's key, but flexibility is also key. Yes, yeah, sure. so you have to be flexible. You can only also, I think, um, you know, be the best prepared for your draft if you are flexible and you understand your options, you know, you could say, you know, well, I, I don't like to over mock draft because then I just have too many options. No that's the best way to do it so that you best understand 
you know, those windows of player availability. So when you fall into those dead zones, you understand, okay, I'm actually comfortable with reaching at this spot because I'm so unhappy with these current five players I'm juggling between. Um, so I think it's important to just have that research because that's going to make it feel more comfortable to pivot and to be flexible later in your drafts or later in the season when you have to make a trade or make a waiver pickup, anything like that. Or just do what I'm doing this year and just take Tyler Boyd everywhere. Just take Tyler Boyd everywhere. Yeah. It's fantastic value. Yeah. And I, and I just kind of was just today going through the teams. Okay. Yeah. Who do I have on which teams that it just kind of hit me? Wait, I've got Boyd on this team. I got Boyd. Oh, wow. I've done you know four, four or five drafts, Tyler Boyd. So something about that, that range. So I think that'll always happen too. You, you'll emerge. If you do enough drafts, you'll see that player that just keeps falling in this, the range where you view them, they should be higher. And maybe I'm wrong about Tyler Boyd. Uh, so I guess I mean, we'll, have to, we'll have to see. In some sense, it makes it easier when you're watching the games on Sunday, you know, how many shares of one player you've got so you could really cheer for that one team. Whereas myself, I feel like I've just got absolutely everyone across the board. So I just, the, the same way I watch games every Sunday, every season is just, I just pray for no injuries. Uh, from when I wake up in the morning to go sleep at night, I'm just, you know, just fingers crossed. Just nobody get hurt. Like that's all I care about. Just nobody get hurt. My, my problem is if I'm watching a Bengals game and I'm, yeah, let's go Tyler Boyd when, oh no, there's another pass to Higgins. Oh, there's another pass to Chase. Uh, that's, that, might not, that might not be as fun to cheer for uh, when that's happening. But uh, yeah. I mean, it's always fun to, to watch football and cheer for football. Go football go <laughs> and football. go fantasy football, of course. Um, yeah, and, I, and hopefully you know, we've helped the listeners with their preparation for their drafts. We, we talked about a lot. We talked about you know how do you, how do we navigate the preseason? How do we navigate even week one when you're done the draft? But going into the draft, what type of difficult decisions you may have to have at different points of the draft? Right? You talk about it, you know at 104 what your kind of your first three rounds are going to be. And I kind of went through. I had really tough decisions in the middle rounds five, six, seven, and what that combination those combinations were going to be, and then. You know, you might get auction drafts where every, everything's a tough decision if it's an auction because you never know the order of the players. You never know the val- where the value is going to be in terms of which, what's, what's that one player that's just going to be bid up the most. You may not expect the most ex- expensive player. You know, when, once you leave an auction, whoever is the most expensive player, you may not have expected that to be the player. And it's just the timing of when they're nominated also comes into that. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we can. Yeah, hopefully we've, we've helped everyone listening. Um, but I guess before I even get to the outros, Sam, Brad, were there any other draft prep ideas that I didn't get to and forgot to, and should have got to before this point? No, I feel like we definitely kind of ran the gamut on all, all little topics that come across, you know, I, I think, you know, when, when it comes to drafting, you know, I just never, I won't ever say just, you know, to not mock draft, do your research, get those mock drafts in there so that way you don't have like the clammy hands. You don't, you know, thumb in the pick. You want to be comfortable. Um, You also just want to know your strategies and the players you love. So get the guys in your head that you know that you love, get a couple guys in the window that they're in. That way, if you're targeting one guy and they're not there, you don't panic because you didn't know players next to them in their ADP that you then can't feel comfortable also drafting. Um, Like, yeah, like we were saying, just keep keep doing the mocks. Um, make your list of preseason guys that you love, your rookies that you really want to stash. Um, yeah, I think just make sure that you're prepared on all senses um, and be ready to pivot and comfortable with the pivot. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, what we learned is that right after your draft or even that first or second week, you know, keep that panic button in the glove box. You, you don't you don't don't even look at it. 
Just just leave it leave it alone. Let let it you know let the draft come to you. Uh, Sam made a great point when when you you know when when it when it's certain rounds when you do these mock drafts you're, you're going to see a lot of the same names. You're, you're going to see you know well, which way you can go and and if it's a good time to reach it. You know uh, Sam mentioned about a, a dead zone or something like that. So yeah, I mean I think. You know, yeah. Do your prep. Uh, look at your tiers. Uh, you know, get an idea of uh, what's going on. Keep your keep your eye out for uh, you know uh, people getting cut and, or you know news here, news there. Um, you know, anything from uh, the, the Patriots running backs. You know, I, I guess their uh, their ADP is about the same now because uh, they don't really know what's uh, what's happening. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a uh, it's it, it, it's a great. It's a great time, and it's a, it's been a great having you on again, Sam. Thanks, guys, again so much for having me. We always have such a good time recording with you. Yeah, it's the and almost like fantasy football is like the cure for everything, right? Or at least that's what the the doctor prescribes. Certainly, Doctor Roto would 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 say that. And I know Sam, you can take this opportunity to uh, plug your work. I know you are with Doctor Roto, so that wasn't just a random line out of nowhere. That was strategic, folks. But uh, yeah, <laughs> feel free to let everyone know where you're, where it. you're at, Sam. Appreciate it. Thanks guys. Again, um, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Samantha R. Holt. I am with Dr. Roto. So you guys will be hearing the fantasy debate with Sam and Tate over there, as well as um, every Tuesday, check out my stock watch article that will be coming back as soon as the season starts. Um, that's where I will pull from every position players whose stock is rising, falling, and the players you should hold on to hold tight. Don't let them go yet. So make sure to keep an eye out for that article when it comes out. I'm also still working with the fantasy playbook. So make sure to follow them and subscribe. So I'll be jumping on to a couple of those podcasts as a guest here and there. Make sure you follow them because Kyle Yates is doing a great thing, building his team there and uh, coming out with some great content as well as, uh, you know, Matthew Berry's fantasy life. I'm still doing illustrations with them, but I'll be jumping on to do more content with them as well. So keep an eye out for that um, in the discord where they come out with their new announcements every week. So make sure you're following them and subscribing to the newsletter. Cause again, another team that's putting amazing content out there that I'm just really grateful to be a part of. The ever talented Sam, whether it's speaking or drawing, you're always so great. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, and of course, yeah, thank you for for joining us. And uh, of course, hopefully, what you provided and what uh, Brad and I also mentioned occasionally, we were, we had some good things to say too, Brad. But hopefully, what we all provide together helps our listeners with their draft prep. And uh, you know, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at fpc underscore fantasy pod. You can also follow your co-host individually. Brad's at the rundown underscore BH. I'm at Center Says. As always, download the full press coverage app. Available for free on Android and iOS stores. Gives you access to all the great full press coverage content in one convenient location. So that's articles, podcasts, the full press radio network. All available for free on the full press coverage app. Also, shout out to PA the Second on Twitter at PA underscore II official. He lets us use the song Wallet as our intro and outro music. So, really appreciate PA for that. You can check out his most recent album, The Illa V Project, uh, part of his uh, series of Illa projects. And so, yeah, so Illa V is available uh, wherever you download it. So, uh, yes, uh, thank you very much, Sam. This was awesome. Again, guys, this was a lot of fun. I'm a lot of draft prep that I just got so much more excited about my draft this weekend. Let's go. Best of luck with that. Thank you. Yeah, and Brad, any final thoughts for listeners? Uh, I mean, uh, j- yeah, I mean, uh, just uh, best of luck to Sam and everybody else out there. It's uh, it's draft season. It's, it's a great time. So uh, go out, go out and have fun. Enjoy yourself, but keep that panic button away. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, keep the panic button away, but you can always come back and return here to the Full Press Fantasy Pod. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.